Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show. And today I've got Robert Hammond on the uh, show with me today. Uh, an incredible, incredible gift to the planet. Uh, when we talk about overcoming and reinvention, uh, this guy is the poster child. Uh, he is an award-winning screenwriter, uh, producer, and author of, uh, I think, more than 10 books. And... Uh, he is uh, uh, just an incredible cat and someone you absolutely should know and should support. How are you, my uh, good buddy? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Philippe. It's really great to be here with you today. It's awesome to have you. Uh, we talked some some time ago, and uh, you you know I just thought that you were a prolific writer, <laughs> which you are, <laughs> and screenwriter. Uh, and, you know, writing, uh, uh, the, you know, Ready When You Are, Cecil, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments for Success, uh, and The Man Who Invented Hollywood, which you're working on a biopic, which I think is huge. Uh, but um, before we talk about all of these prolific books uh, and screenwritings, uh, let's talk about you and your background, because you recently sent me an email <laughs> that uh, personified my middle name, which is Shock, or my nickname. Uh, <laughs> if you if you recall that email and recall that conversation, um, let's start there so that the uh, audience can get an understanding of why I feel you are so powerful uh, and 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 gifted because you have overcome quite a bit. Okay, well, thank you. thanks so much. And I do remember that that conversation. Um, shock. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> as you um, kind of alluded, Philippe, I'm kind of known in Hollywood and in a lot of places as like the DeMille guy, the Cecil B. DeMille guy, or the guy giving Cecil B. DeMille his close-up because I've been you know, working on the big biopic, you know, it's kind of like the aviator, a big movie about you know, the big director, and I've written books. Some about him, you know, ready when you are and that, but I've never mm-hmm. read a lot of other books. Um, however, just recently, um, I'll just start at what happened at the end that gave me um, the reason to contact you, and, and, you know, I'll probably be doing some other media later, um, is, is I just received a governor's pardon um, from Jerry Brown, and you know, that was on Easter, you know, moving. You know, actually, well, Easter 2013. So this is huge because I, I think when people hear a governor's pardon, what does that mean? And then they think about it, and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> a governor's pardon. I remember that, and it was very controversial. What What right. did you do? Uh, so So let's let's take them back through the uh, background as to what led up to um, the governor's pardon, which is unbelievable, but uh, you had as many uh, young men 
uh, a, a tr- troubled childhood, to say the least, uh, an identity crisis, to say the least. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and that's just the, the quick story. I mean, I, I guess if I was going to put the story in a couple of words, it'd be like the prodigal son. You know, if you're familiar with that. You know, the guy who you know, leaves his family basically thinking, okay, here, I'll just take what I can get and go out and on my own, do my own thing, mm-hmm. and just ends up at the bottom of everything. You know, just mm-hmm. and you know, the prostitutes, the drugs, you know, I mean, literally, you know, metaphorically in the prodigal son story, but, you know, the pigs die basically, and just the wild living. And I lived, you know, through the 60s, you know, I mean, well, late 60s, basically, you know, and... um you know, I got into a lot of things that a lot of people did get into. Not everyone, and I and I really have a lot of respect. And I know people like yourself, others, you know, who really made an early decision. Here, that's I'm not I'm not going down that path, and they just didn't do it. You know, they didn't take drugs. I mean, you know, they may have done a few things here and there. I mean, we've all stumbled along the way. Sure. Um, but some of us, like myself, um, just take things to extremes. And I don't, you know, want to blame anyone else. You know, but I know I, I had, a, you know, a, I'll say a troubled life. But actually, I had really wonderful parents. My, my my father's a doctor. My mother has a master's in social work. You know, she was a teacher and worked for the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. You know, she was a counselor. So I, it's not a question. You know, went to church and I was in the choir. You know, I was a Boy Scout. You know, all the the you know, outwardly. <laughs> you were born in the cities. You're not from the ghetto. You're not uh, uh, dodging bullets uh, in the streets of Compton. I understand. Well, I didn't start out there, but I actually I did do that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up in, in, in a ghetto and dodging bullets. But you <laughs> I mean, know, literally. what I think is interesting, Robert, though, is that there is, and a lot of people unfortunately do not talk about this, and that is the pressure to measure up to the, whatever the household standard is, especially if it's high academically, you've got, you know, academically accomplished parents. You are probably, uh, at that particular time, you're probably uh, the only young male of color in your neighborhood or possibly school. Uh, and so I, I could absolutely see because I used to just get picked on because I knew how to speak the English language. So I should only oh, imagine. In other words, talking white. as, as Exactly, exactly. So, you know, who who knows? You grow up and you become the Oprah of Internet. But anyway, uh, you, you know, so so talk to me about that. Is, is that kind of, am I on the right track uh, in terms of that assessment? Oh, absolutely, Philippe. That was that was an issue for me. And again, it's not a question like you know blaming you know my parents because obviously, you know, I mean, my mother could still this day. Last time, even when I told her about the pardon, you know, a couple of months ago, you know, she was in tears as well as I was, you know, because she felt like oh, if only I had done more, you know, to keep you from going away. And I, you know, just sort of broke my heart, you know, just thinking, you know, that she even thinks it had anything to do with her. Well, the blessing yeah. is is that she lived long enough to see her son pardon and see her she son did. successful. So that's a that's that's a gold mine right there. So oh, Jerry, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They they yeah. have forgiven me for so much, you know, just, I mean, the governor's pardon and forgiveness was, was definitely kind of a, you know, an icing on the cake, but, you know, sure, more than sure. that, you know, I mean, you know, being just forgiven by, you know, by God and my parents and myself, and that's the hard part, really, my, my own um, personal thing. But back to your, you know, your question, um, yeah, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, having, you know, kind of a high achieving, you know, we we lived actually on the, on 
you know, we've, we've lived in some poverty at times, you because know, my, my dad was in you know, college for a while, but you know, he went to medical school. But he was in the military also, and he was an officer, so he anyway, moved around. And so I had to deal with, like, meeting, you know, starting over quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, with new friends and trying to fit in. And then we lived, you know, ultimately uh, growing up is in a real small little suburban uh, small town in, in central California, Santa Maria, actually, um, near Santa Barbara. And a really nice area, you know, we lived kind of in the nicer part of that town for a lot of that uh, growing up. So it was sort of me trying to fit in, you know, I was in, many times I was like the only black person, not only in my class, but in the whole school. And then, wow. You know, later my, my younger sisters came along and then, you know, there might have been a couple of, you know, Latinos and maybe, you know, one like a Filipino or something, mm-hmm. you know, here and there, but very, very, you know, minimal, particularly in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, I think part of, you know, my my um, confusion, I guess, was just trying to, you know, try to blend in, you know, which you can't just make yourself look a different way. Right, <laughs> right. Try to impress people, you know, whether it was through, you know, I was pretty smart, you know, trying to show off, you know, and, you know, I would make jokes, kind of a class clown. And then ultimately it was just more just getting in trouble. And so I don't know if this, you know, even though I have a, my undergraduate degree in psychology and sociology, I, I, I really don't quite understand why I did all of what I did. I just know that ultimately, you know, I found people that I could fit in with, especially in the late 60s, which were kind of like the hippies and the Jimi Hendrix and the Sly and the Family Stone mm-hmm. kind of a mm-hmm. style. Um, did you, sort did of, you, in that environment, um, when we talk about trying to, to, to fit in, obviously you can't change your skin color, were you ever bullied, kicked on, assaulted, uh, dealt with yeah. slurs of the N word? Uh, oh yeah. Did you have to go through? Did you have to go through that uh, identity as well? I did, and and you know back then you know, I didn't really think of it as being bullied. You know, which I know we talk a lot about that today. You know, because um, you know I wasn't you know as much beat up. You know, I mean, I mean, I did I did have my share of that in in my day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some fights. Um, but yeah, I did definitely get called, you know, those names, and particularly at times, and I really didn't even know at early on. I didn't even know what they were talking about. You know, I, you had no frame of reference. No, we lived in Washington D.C. for a while. I was born in Virginia. We lived in Washington D.C., and it was pretty much a African American, you know, area, you know, which I wasn't even thinking about things, you know, at five, six years old. And then sure. we moved to the state of Washington uh, when my dad was in the military. You know, as a cap- captain in the army, so we went over to Fort Lewis. And then that was when I first experienced that, you know, all-white environment. I didn't really even know what that was. But, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I knew, you know, here I don't look the same, and people started playing with my hair, and, you know, kids would call me names. And mm. and even the teacher would say, oh, well, you're the colored guy, so, you know, boy, so you need to, you know, really, you know, set an example. I'm like, what? Wow. You know, and, and, you know, and we would, like, color, you know, in our Things and I remember someone, you know, using a black crayon. Oh, black is a horrid color. He said, "Don't use black. That's ugly." Mm-hmm. And it just, mm-hmm. oh, you know, and it was just, you know, the little kid, and a little phrase. I, you know, I would say it's like, if I close my eyes, maybe you can't see me. Mm. Wow. And I don't know if you know that feeling of just wishing you could just, yes, yes. You know, it's kind of like the commercial, "Cow God, take me away." Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know, I wish, you know, I could just, I'm not here. You know, I'm invisible, and let me just not feel what I feel, and I think that, you know, all these things kind of tied in. Again, not to blame, you know, that, you know, for, oh, because of that is why I, 
you know, went down this bad path, you know, because they well, you know, I think there's, I think there is a, I think there is a connection in in terms of of that, Robert, and that is wanting to disappear and not be around and not, uh, you know, that's huge. And I think yeah. uh, seeking, uh, quote unquote, the bad boy lifestyle, especially as it relates to drugs, drugs is a way of numbing you. Uh, it and, is. And mitigating, if 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 you know, if only temporarily. Uh, with of course great consequences, the pain uh, that that you're in, that really you 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 have again no frame of reference, really no one to talk to about it, uh, and here you are a kid coming of age, and what do you do? Well, you know, it's always like looking for something. You know, there's something missing in my life. I felt like you know I needed whether it was trying to fit in or just trying to feel like I knew who I am. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had that experience? You know, like you're like desperately looking around, like for your keys. You know, like in the morning, or or your glasses, and you're looking, and just like you know, getting blaming everybody, and then all of a sudden you realize you have them in your hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> or your glasses on top of your head. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Unfortunately, more frequently than not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but absolutely. That's kind of my long story, I would say, because um, yeah, I was looking for something, you know, and I just was always blaming and going here and going there and. You know, whether it was drugs or sex or rock and roll, you know, I mean, I needed to fill up that missing place in myself, I think. And so, now, was there a point where you were addicted uh, in terms of the the technical term or the clinical term, uh, addicted? Yeah, absolutely. Eventually, um, like I said, things that may have started out kind of just as having a nice time, you know, like a little, you know, marijuana and some psychedelic kind of drugs in the late 60s, the hippies, um, you know, peace loves type of thing, um, I eventually started taking uh, heroin, and, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so just imagining, you know, like, this hero's journey on heroin, uh, you know, just starting out kind of in the normal place, and then, you know, when that kind of entered, you know, this inciting incident of this drug here, it was like, wow, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. felt, and that was, and I, I know Natalie Cole and so others have said similar things, that when I first experienced it, it was like I'm home. This is heaven. You know, this is Eden. You know, I was like, wow. Uh, yeah, I remember finally. that. I'm not, as a matter of fact, because I think most uh, uh, most times people say that uh, the first time using it, they get just almost deathly ill, uh, which in some situations curtails them from using. Whereas with Natalie Cole, when she took it, uh, it was you know like drinking. Uh, cold water on a on a hot summer day it was just absolutely quenching and took to it like a fish out of fishing water. So that was right. your experience. Was me too. Oh my gosh! So you you didn't have a chance in heck, did you? No, because it was like I said. By the time I, I mean, it was again, it was one of those things that you know you say here. I'll, this is something I'll never do. I mean, I I mean, I knew what they were talking about. I mean, I mean, sure. I didn't like getting vaccinations. You know, let alone you know taking a needle and putting it in my own arm. You know, it's like right, that's right, frightening. You know. I, at one point, but eventually, you know, it's amazing the things that we'll do that we say that we'll never do. I mean, I'm not, you know, I never, don't think never feel that far, but uh, it was one of those areas that once I was to that point, you know, I guess with all the other things going on, that it just seemed like the thing to do. And then when mm-hmm. I did step over that line, so to speak, like I said, I felt like I found heaven. You know, that was what I, this is what I've been looking for, this mm-hmm. feeling, this mm-hmm. bliss. 
And so, so it was a tough road to, to stop doing it, you know, because it was like sure, it was hard sure. to get. You know, so that, you even went further than that as a result of using you, of course, now you're into the, uh, the quote-unquote drug culture. Now you're selling, you're selling as well. Well, yeah, you have to do something at some point. I mean, well, I'll speak for myself because it does, you know, it was kind of expensive. You know, it was not a, something you can just get for like 50 cents down the corner drugstore. So, you know, I mean, spending five, ten, twenty, a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars a day, eventually or more, um, wow. I did a lot of things. You know, I, I sold drugs, I stole. You know, I was a shoplifter. I was a robber. You know, I carried a gun. I was a drug dealer. I mean, these are just a few different things. You know, I wrote bad checks. You know, I forged things. I created new identities. I did a lot of, you know, broken the houses. I just, you know, you know, horrifying things. I mean, I think I hate even when I think about it, I was like, God, I can't believe I did. <laughs> just mm-hmm, that I mm-hmm. just did that, yes. But uh, I did all those criminal um, things many, many years ago, um, which is, you know, hence the pardon ultimately, which uh, was you know, Jerry Brown's way of looking back, you know, at the many, many years since then, you know, which... Sure, absolutely, a absolutely. Ago. I mean, it's uh, obvious that you are completely rehabilitated from that uh, life and lifestyle. Um, when, when you know, every every person that I've ever talked to that has had any type of substance abuse or addiction, there's always a rock bottom. Uh, there's always like an aha moment, a turning point. Uh, some have more than one, uh, but usually there's always a, a turning point. What was your turning point, one, uh, in terms of I'm not going to use again, I need to get rehabilitated, I need to stop this, and two, what led up to your uh, eventual incarceration? Well, those are good questions. And it's, for me, um, you know, one of the things I, I like to say is that the hitting bottom is when you really – when you decide to stop digging. Mm. I hit bottom before and said, okay, that's it, never again. And then I've gone back out and done the exact same thing. I mean, I've been like mm-hmm. you know, puking my guts out over a toilet or laying in the gutter somewhere or just out there in the total, you know, despicable, you know, hell holes of jails and said, okay, that's my bottom, you know, never again, you know, and that's, you know, one of those things that many people I know have gone through. And one of the things that I guess that's one thing I just want to kind of pause and say that I really want to give hope to anyone who's gone through things like that. I'm not talking having to go through the extreme of, you know, like heroin addiction or cocaine Mm -hmm. or speed or Mm -hmm. things like that. But just, you know, your life has gotten so far out of control, whether it's in relationships, because I know a lot of people just get in really bad relationships or they get Mm -hmm. in really bad just lifestyles and, and, you know, whether it's gambling or, or just anything, you know, that just causes, you know, health problems or causes mental problems or causes just emotional problems. And, you know, we've all had something, you know, that, that's gone on. And then we stop, We say, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Sure. And then we go do sure. it again. So for me, I'd say the, the biggest pivotal moment for me, and I could say I had numerous ones, and then even after this, still had some kind of relapsed, um, you know, reminders, was when I was alone and I was in jail, you know, this is many years ago, and I was actually told that I was getting ready to die. I, you know, they said, here, I had, you know, hepatitis and jaundice and, you know, speaking of, you know, they say high yellow. Uh, you right. All the meaning to that phrase. I mean, my eyes were yellow. I mean, my, my liver was shot. I was totally, oh my and, and this was Thanksgiving, 
and I was like here in jail, totally lost everything, you know, nothing, you know, my family, wife at the time, and just I hated myself. And they, the medical people were even saying, here, you're going to be dead by Christmas. Wow. Thanksgiving. And that was, okay, you know, giving up. I, I mean, I hated myself. I, I really didn't want to live, and I didn't care, you know, but I, I, I was in so much pain and just so much agony that um, I just gave up in a sense, and then that was, I think, where, you know, I, you know, and I use this phrase, you know, literally saw the light. It was like, wow, you know, like I talked about before, like, you know, you, you've lost your keys and you're, like, running around and, okay, where's my keys or, or my glasses? Mm-hmm. And one day, it's like, suddenly it's like, oh, oh. And it was like hiding in plain sight. And, 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 I, and I say that in the sense, not, I'm not talking like just some religious, you know, experience. I mean, although you could call it that, you know, like William James mm-hmm. talks about varieties of religious experience for people who have, you know, from different ways, you know, different. It's not like one, um, just a belief system. Um, it's not just a ritual. It's not like, you know, stepping up, you know, walking the aisle and saying a certain, you know, formula. You know, it was really a literal spiritual light. Wow. And I was like, wow, you know, I can see something that I just, it was like, you know, like, and, and what's interesting is like, you know, I, I, I was like talking about these things. That's one of the reasons I actually wrote the, the book called The Light, you know, which was originally was like a, you probably talk about it later, but just um, to mention it, that The Light is really, was originally an autobiography. And so I really eventually had to like talk about all that and go back to my life and I could really see it. I just saw things very differently. And that's when I, when I say talk about light, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, like, artificial light or natural like sunlight, you know, but it's like literally being blind all your life and then suddenly you can see. It's like, wow. Now, you know, what I what I, uh, I hear in this story is something that I hear consistently uh, amongst those that uh, I feel, and, and, and this just comes from years and years of hearing, uh, great stories and meeting people who have uh, overcome so much. I just believe that there are a certain group of people that are chosen to go through certain things uh, to come out on the other side to help those who uh, may not have a, a, a way out. And because there was a reason that you saw that light, there was a reason that you had an aha moment because it could have so easily went the other way. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, I appreciate that point because that was one of the things. In seeing that that light, as they say, you know, it allowed me to see what you're saying. It's like, oh, everything makes sense. Everything mm-hmm. is totally perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I'm not, you know, like better than everyone else, or I'm not worse than everyone else. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. actually all have the light. You know, we're all enlightened in the sense that the light, you know, shines on us. So all it's just a question of of seeing us, seeing it. And it's like when you're, you know, alone in the dark. You know, and you're this place where you just can't see anything. I mean, you have a choice. You know, you can either close your eyes and just go to sleep, or you can look for the light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened for me is I, I was at the point where I just, you know, really lost, you know, hope in myself and all the, you know, I tried a lot of things. You know, I have gone, you know, various religions. I mean, every kind of church and other, you know, spirituality, uh, mm-hmm. various training types of things and psychology. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in psychology, sociology. You know, I, you know, I've done, you know, the work, you know, medical, you know, you know, antidepressants, you know, methadone, sure. you know, 
all these things. I tried acupuncture, uh, whatever, you know, to Zen, yeah, A to Z. And it was not until I really let go of everything that I believed and everything I thought I could do for myself and really lost hope. And and it's funny because you know how they, there's a you know a saying that goes around God helps those who help themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some truth in that you know obviously, but he really helps the people who can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that's the grace. Absolutely. When you're hopeless, uh, God, I can't. You're drowning. You have to like a drowning person. You have to let go to let the person save you. That's right. That's right. And that's that's to so me a real salvation. That's not you know like what a lot of people say. You know they're saved. You know whatever. Just sure. They say sure. Magic words or whatever. It was like I give up. You know, let this. You know. So after that, so 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 you know, did you go through? Uh, I think a lot of people remember the scene in in, in the movie Ray when Ray Charles was uh, mm-hmm. forced to detox uh, in prison oh, yeah. or in jail uh, from from heroin. And 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 uh, uh, was it like that for you? Was it very painful? Oh yeah, um, seeing that week, and uh, did you see? I mean, was the light before or after that? What walk us through that part, that part? Yeah, well, I went. Actually, I had already gone through a lot of that. I was still really in the middle of that at that particular this time that we're that we're referring to right now. Um, yeah, I had gone through a lot of that already, you know, because you know, with heroin addiction particularly, um, you know, it's like the worst. You know, like Ray is a good. Illustration of it, you know, you've probably seen that in some other kinds of movies where it's like if you just imagine the worst flu you've ever had, I mean, that's just the starting point where you're just shaking, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. cold, you're hot, you can't eat, you, you know, you're throwing up, you know, just everything is just really bad. Uh, you just don't even like to be touched, just, you know, the sound and touch, and, you know, don't want to be, don't even want water, you know, you don't want to take a bath, you smell like, you know, death. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I went through all that. And it just uh, it took a long time. And then, like I said, I had other illnesses. You know, I had, like, this liver was really bad. And I said, yeah, I had this terminal hepatitis uh, C, you know, which is like a deadly uh, disease, which, you know, they don't really have a real, you know, a lot of cure for. Uh, but the miracle, and that, this is something, you know, I just was thinking about, as you just asked that, is I ended up, you because know, I had, you know, you think hospital food's bad, by the way, um, if anyone's ever been there. Like, jail hospital food, that's, like, the worst. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right. It sounds like it's really, really bad. It's just nothing good about it, right? No, that's where I was. So I had to go through that, and they and they they went. They took me back. You know, I was in like the cells. You know, where they they have people that are have, they have all these medical problems. Uh-huh. So when they went back after all this, they did all these blood tests, and they said that it, it's gone. I was like, what? Wow. So, I mean, I've gone, you know, years later, you know, and, you know, went back, you know, because I go, hey, because I've done some crazy things since then, you know, and let me just make sure I've got, you know, all these tests that you can take, you know, for AIDS and HIV and hepatitis and, you know, all this stuff. Because that was devastating just to think, okay, now my, you know, not only do I hate myself, but, you know, I'm going to die in my life and I can't, you know, be ever be with anyone because I'll get them sick or whatever. And all that stuff was in my head. And they, you know, I've gone through what they call like an RNA um, PCR test. You know, where they, I mean, just on a molecular level, is like zero. I'm like, wow. Wow. So that's Truly amazing. Grace. grace, yeah. Just so you know, not so just, this is this is incredible. So at this point, you are uh, 
healed, if you will, from from heroin, but now you're a felon. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, so we kind of trade out a little bit, if you will, for for uh, you know, just trying to have a sense of humor here in a very heavy, heavy topic. Um, so what happens then? You know, walk us through that. That okay, I am drug free. But now, how do I go on with the rest of my life, and what would that look like? Well, you know, my life has been very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's kind of like I compare myself to, you remember Mr. Magoo? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that. You know, he's going to all these different places, and he kind of thinks he knows where he's going, <laughs> but he's like walking on top of a train or across, you know, these <laughs> girders and and but somehow he gets, you know, something's really taking care of him because he's like, you know, falling right. off, you know, bridges. But it's like, so that's kind of how my life is, is has gone. I have actually, you know, even with my record, and that's not just like one, you know, felony. I mean, I've had, you know, numerous uh, events, you know, of of address, you know, from shoplifting to armed robbery, sure. to drug possession, you know, for sales and all that stuff, weapons, um, all kinds of just. Crazy stuff, um, but I was able to get. Um, you know, I did, I've done a lot of different things. I, you know, I've written books. You know, I started. You know, like credit. You know, my credit was really ruined. You know, as you can imagine, that was the least of my problems. Um, so, you know, when I was trying to deal with that, I tried to figure out, okay, how do I get this fixed now? You know, I can't even rent an apartment. You know, I can't even open a savings mm-hmm. account because they won't even take my cash. You know, mm-hmm. they, we don't want your money in our bank. You know, get out of here. Well, I think that's so I, fascinating how resourceful you were to figure that out. I mean, I think that's worth a, a, a interview just unto itself, you know. Well, that was a whole yeah. And I used to, that was really kind of my my claim to fame as far as writing goes because I ended up figuring out how to fix credit back in the eighties. And I was back, you know, when you started hearing about you know credit repair and all that stuff, I was like actually one of the people that started that whole thing. Wow. Um, because I learned how to do it, you know, and I you know, was able to finally you know, clear the stuff, the negative stuff away out of my legitimately record so I could at least get rent an apartment and, and then get credit cards just so I could, you know, buy a car and function. And so I, I actually did that, and I was actually able to also get work, you know, with, you know, I worked with some nonprofit agencies, um, you know, I worked with some rehab facilities, I worked with the county of Riverside, and I actually helped create, like, a their alternate dispute resolution uh, program throughout the county. Um, I've worked with like the Better Business Bureau and Inland County Legal Service, Legal Aid, and so I get, I've just been able, you know, because I have, I guess, some something going for me. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, absolutely, absolutely, to find uh, to find employment and uh, to, uh, like I said, to overcome that, find employment, find housing uh, after being convicted as a felon and being African American. Uh, yeah, it's not easy. I've even written a book on like resumes. Yeah, that's just one of my recent things. I worked with the uh, employment development department um, actually for many years, and I was a you know I was a human resources consultant. Um, yeah, I worked with the CalPERS, you know, the, the retirement system, and I worked with you know the trainer, you know, helping the one-stop centers where people are looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, the training, mm-hmm. you know, called blockbuster resumes. I actually have a book called Blockbuster Resumes. If anyone's interested in just how to make your resume so you can really present yourself, um, you know, le- le- legitimately, but, you know, really finding here how can you overcome, like, those gaps in your history 
Any components, you know, we just have some, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out here who really don't have any criminal records and are still having a hard time finding a job right now. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> so that's, you know, just one of the things. Like I said, I did the credit repair for a while, and so that's kind of you know, how I was able to, to function is I was just able to, to kind of, like, fall into these things. I, you know, I won't say it wasn't, you know, in, through any effort, you know, there was no effort on my, my part. Um, now let me, let me ask you this, Robert, uh, because I'm, I'm, I, I know you uh, as uh, I know the man uh, and I know the mission. Uh, but uh, something that I that that has come up in my mind that I want to share, and you tell me if I'm on the right track or not, and that is, uh, quote unquote, when you were on when you were um, a member of the dark side, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because of your high intellect and high intelligence, there would be an assumption that you were quite good at being bad. Uh, because, you know, drug dealing, and uh, it requires a lot of thought, and there are smart drug dealers and there are dumb drug dealers, and usually the dumb ones end up uh, in prison or dead or both. Um, and so it, it would appear that, uh, thank God you came uh, out of that and uh, uh, learned the Jedi mind trick and figured it out. But is it true that at one point you were, you know, kind of like a career criminal and you were really good at what you were doing? Well, let's put it this way. There was a lot of things that I did not get caught for doing, um, but I, I definitely paid the price for the things that I did and probably then some. You know, mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't say I was that smart of a criminal in the sense that I never got caught because I mean I've been arrested for you know like the silliest you know like shoplifting, um, you know just driving around with drugs and guns in my car and getting pulled over for not having my seatbelt on and that's you know <laughs> just you know acting all crazy you know you know and when you're high on drugs it's hard to be you know really a smart criminal so that's I'll just put that in the mix. I like that quote. That's good. That's good. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, there was a lot of things that I ended up doing, um, you know, I, mean, I would say probably on the, the intellectual end of it. You know, I got involved in, like, alternate, you know, identities and, you know, creating, you know, new, you know, identities for people and things like mm-hmm. that. And you mm-hmm. know, so that was, you know, and I'm not proud of this. I'm just saying those are some things that, you know, a lot of people didn't know how to do or whatever. But, you know, and a lot of it just because I knew a little bit about the, the system, you sure. know, credit and stuff. But, I, you know, I, basically, like I said, I got in trouble for, for most of the things that I did, and I, and I think I've gotten, you know, I've suffered, you know, for the things that I did that, you know, allowed me to really try to get back and make up for for that. And that, that's yeah. why I've written books, and I, I've done a lot of consulting. I've, you know, consulted with a lot of, you know, hundreds of, like, in, not just individuals. As, Absolutely. You know, Turning their lives around or, or improving their financial things, um, but you know career types of things. But you know, in writing, I, well, you I, were I pretty much set, writing. So you were pretty much set, saying that okay, yep, uh, here's my past. Uh, been there, done that. Uh, not going to do that again. Uh, and you pretty much kind of set your life up, saying okay, I'm 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 just going to live with uh, the. Uh, uh, under the umbrella of of being a felon, but I'm not going to live like a felon. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Is, is that kind of accurate? And then all of a sudden, you know, here we come Easter uh, Sunday, 2013, 
and you get a call or email or what, what happened? How does that happen? I got the phone call on actually on Good Friday. You know that um, April. Well, it definitely uh, was a Good Friday night. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, it was definitely a very good Friday. <laughs> you know, it had been, you know, like many, many years, you know, since the last thing that, you know, I had gotten in trouble for. Yeah, how long know, was that? How long was it before the it was park? Ninety-six. Okay, so it was quite a yeah. t- quite a bit of time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a bit of time, um, and I had, um, you know, since then, you know, I, I'd been, you know, like said, clean and sober, you know, since actually. Well, 96 was when I was arrested, but I was still out on bail, so I was doing a lot of stuff up to the final day, which was actually Oct- you know, October 30th. Mm-hmm. October 31st of 1997, that's what I you know, call my my rebirth day, because that was the day I went to jail, you mm-hmm. know, and thanks my final sentence um, for the last time, you know, of things. Like I said, I you know, these are some things that had recurred, you know, over time. You know, it wasn't like I just got in trouble one time and saw the light and, okay, and now everything's perfect. No, it was mm-hmm. not even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really want to encourage anyone who's, you know, who's had trouble, especially thing you know, that we're probably not Absolutely. You know, totally, you know, happy about. But like you said, it's not about living and thinking about my past all the time. You know, it's really about living in the present. You know, because that's really, you know, like that seeing the light, you know, idea, that's just a, a, an intellectual exercise, you know, or just a belief system. It's really a present moment experience, you know, mm-hmm. right here right now, you know, it's really the only time it really matters. What do I say today? Who do I want to be today? You know, and I, sure. I kind of try to live my life in sort of a day at a time, even though I, I do make plans and, I mean, I do, you know, make learn from my past mistakes. So it's not like, you know, you just pretend it never happened or you just don't have the idea what you're going to do next the next day. But I, I really try to put the major focus on, okay, who do I want to be today? And really turning, you know, the positive around, you know, not just positive thinking, but really looking at, you know, positive kind of questions of mm-hmm. one of my questions I like to ask a lot is what's the best thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like and that. Then, I like that a lot. Yeah. What's the best thing that could happen? And just, you know, on a on a general idea or in a specific situation rather than thinking, okay, well, the worst thing that could happen is I'll do this and I won't get the job or whatever. What's the best thing that could happen? Here, what if they give you a better job than you even applied for? Sure. Or what if, sure. you know, you sell your life story and make this giant movie and, you know, all these things, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do. Now, what's like, really well, cool is that you're also like a professor where you teach uh, at the collegiate level uh, screenwriting. I do. I teach screenwriting and, and just creative writing. I have a, a couple of colleges that I teach at, and I've been like a visiting lecturer, you know, at a couple of colleges, and, you know, I even went over to like Bahrain, you know, the Middle East, you know, a wow. year and a half ago and, and taught a class, you know, a lot of, like, military and, and, and international students over there. Just talking about, you know, we talk about the hero's journey. Sure. You know, which is kind of a, a, a metaphor for, you know, like, you know, we all go through it. You know, you know, we start in one place, something happens, and then we end up learning right. these lessons along the way. And we get right, mentors right. or we have allies and we have enemies. And we try, you know, you know sometimes we get betrayed and sometimes we can end up where we're basically all seems lost. But it's not unless you know there's that those lessons that you learn and, and whether it's in, like you talked about you know you had some early losses in your life you know with mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. mother and you know those you know tragedies and their difficulties and they're painful or, or dealing with poverty you know, but you know you know in a sense the good side of that is that you made some commitments to not go into drugs and mm-hmm. crime and gangs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's almost like you know. I mean, we almost don't want to say, well, because that happened, that's why I'm this way. 
Mm-hmm. But it's like without the crucifixion, there's no resurrection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so so true. Uh, and I would assume hard. that your story, your life rather, uh, has helped you tremendously in your creative work in in screenwriting and writing books. Oh, it has. I, I mean, I've written books, you know, a lot of them out of my experience, like The Light, of course, you know, it was almost like a memoir originally. It was almost like a writing out my, what they call it, like a fifth step of, you know, confessional, just getting some stuff out of my system. It's like a therapeutic process, and I kind of teach mm-hmm, that in, in mm-hmm. creative writing. Is, you know, you can be a, a therapy for yourself, but also you can help other people because you know things that other people don't know. I was a spokesperson for Capital One for a while because, you know, I know about identity theft. You know, and a lot of different reasons I know about it, but I, I, I um, wrote a book called Identity Theft years ago, and I, you know, helped you know people here. Let's if you've got this crime that's occurred to you, identity theft. You know, here's some things you can do to protect yourself, or some things you can do to resolve that issue. So I've taken negative situations, and you know, I, like I said, worked in rehabilitation centers. You know, I've worked like teaching, helping people get jobs, and yeah, you know, I've been like the worst employee in the world. At times, you know, so I mean, I know what it's like to be the the guy that'll hear. How can we fire this guy? Mm-hmm, Why did he hire mm-hmm. us in the first place? Or what? Where is he? You know, it's like, you know, he's supposed to be at his desk, and <laughs> I haven't seen him for two weeks. You know, he won't answer his phone, or he's like nodding out at his desk. You know, or he's drunk, or he's you know that employee. You know, or like hey, yeah, what happened to the to that computer that was supposed to be sitting here? You know, anyway, <laughs> going from the worst employee in the universe to a human resources consultant with the employment development department, you know, teaching wow. people and managers, you know, managers uh, was one of my jobs years ago, management consulting, showing here, here's how you hire the right people. Here's how you work with people who have these issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to hire somebody who can't really do the job or who can't, but, you know, you want to, you know, if you do have someone and they have some issues, you know, these problems, you know, there are ways you can work with them and, you know, people, you know, who have the worst Scenarios they can sometimes turn around, so it's helped me also being really non-judgmental because you know people that we sometimes you know you see you know you live in the Bay Area you know you go like you know like say in Oakland or San Francisco and some Cisco some places you know you got all these people laid on the streets sure sure you know sometimes you want to cross the street or step over people like let's say like the film or you know certain districts and areas but I was one of those people. Wow. I know that there's a light, you know, I talk about, you know, the light a lot, but it's like everybody is enlightened. You know, the light is in everyone, no matter what Mm -hmm. your poverty level, no matter what your your politics, you know, your nationality or your race or, you know, whether your, you know, your lifestyle or your choices that you make, there's still a light within you. Absolutely. And I try to see that if I can. You know, it's not always easy to see it, you know, because it's hard enough to see it in yourself. But if if you don't see it in yourself, you can't really see it in anyone else. And I know if I've been forgiven for all this stuff, and I was like that, and I'm, you know, like today, you know, not, you know, like some perfect person, but, you know, you wouldn't recognize me. Sure. Before and after. I know that's possible for anyone. What what amazing before and after. Uh, So so here you are now, Professor, and have all of these books. Uh, Where did... The, uh, you know, talk about thinking big. Where did the idea come from to uh, do a biopic uh, on Cecil B. DeMille? 
I mean, I, that's, oh, that's a good one. Huge. Yeah, that's. I guess let's say before they kind of call me the DeMille guy, you know. Yeah. DeMille, yeah. Giving him his close up, you know, and people who have seen Clark at Boulevard, for example, you know, you see him, you know, as the guy, you know, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille, you know, the big kings, Samson Delilah, you know, these big, the greatest show on earth. That's Cecil B. DeMille, the, you know, really the biggest director, kind of man who invented Hollywood. He was out here 100 years ago, 1913, when this was this orange growth in desert, you know, California. People were like, why would anyone want to go out there? And, and making movies in people's minds was just like, you know, they were thinking like a, like a little peep show. When you say the word movies, you're looking at a five-cent Nickelodeon where you turn a crank and you see a stripper or a mountain lion or something, you know, for five seconds. <laughs> right. So when I studied him, I actually, you know, went back to school after all the stuff I had gone through in the past. You know, I got my undergraduate degree, sociology, psychology, and I actually went to law school for a while. I was going to be an attorney, and I ended up deciding, no, you know, I really want to do writing. I really want to get back to kind of my my love of what I had to do when I was really a little kid. That was something. Mm-hmm. I always liked movies, and I liked writing. And I was thought, here, I really want to be a writer. I can that way I can live all these lives and be all these people kind of through my writing and story. So anyway, I went back to uh, graduate school eventually and got a master in fine arts in creative writing. And part of that was, you know, screenwriting was my emphasis. So a lot of it was about film history and um, theory. And so when I studied that, I, I really learned about Cecil B. DeMille and realized how undervalued he was as far as, wow, this guy, he's really basically created this industry of filmmaking and movie making in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Which Hollywood on the map, uh, Paramount Studios, you know, would just start out with like a little barn that he had and mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. these little silent movies in. And now it's a big, you know, giant, you know, industry. And I just thought, wow, his own life was really amazing. And then it was like these contradictions. Like on one hand, here he wants to do the Ten Commandments, all these biblical epics, but here he's got mistresses and he's treating people badly and he's, you know, I'm going to steal the plant, you know, that I need for this movie, you know, so I can put it in, <laughs> you know, the thorn of crowns for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> So talk about leading a double life, huh? Exactly. So I just yeah. thought he was so fascinating because not only did I, I really just enjoy the movies, you know, they were just so you know big and fun. Yes, you've seen like the Ten Commandments, Greatest Show on Earth, you know, Charlton Heston, Brenner, and all these guys. I thought, wow, his life was not like I won't say like mine, you know, because he wasn't you know a criminal, <laughs> but mm-hmm. he had some down places. I mean, he lost everything at one point. I mean, his wife. And, you know, his daughter, his family, they left him, you know, because he was, you know, philandering. He was doing all these wild things. And he treated people kind of badly because he was such a tyrant. And that was, he he saw the light, you know. So he had this turnaround moment. And so when I really learned about his personal story and his, his real internal story, he came from a single family home. I mean, his father died when he was 10. You know, and his mother struggled, you know, to to raise him and, you know, his brother. And, you know, his brother was actually a lot smarter than he was. And so he, you know, just had a vision, and he was just somebody who I really had learned to come to admire. And I thought, wow, what if there was a movie about his life? That would really be a great movie, you know, just like about like The Aviator, A Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Even, you know, movies like Great um, Gatsby, you know, that's kind of a, you know, that kind of a spectacular, sure, sure. you know, story. I was like, wow. Incredible. So that's, so that's what I'm doing now. We're in the process of, you know, film development you know, I've got written a novel called C.B. DeMille, The Man in Hollywood. You have the, you know, the website cbdemille.com, by the way, if anyone wants to see a little bit more about the movie, cbdemille.com really goes into... Yeah, I was going to say, well, how can people get in contact with you? What is, uh, I'm sure you have more than one 
website that we there you know what are oh, they sure. the main ones yeah you can get i mean the cbdml.com is more like for the movie and, and things like that you can contact me there but um yeah i'm on twitter robert just robert hammond you know at robert hammond um you can actually find the books that we were talking about the light um you can actually get like a free um download a sample a couple first chapter of it uh, at newwaypress.com so it's newwaypress.com. That's the publisher, you know, that has that. Um, and you can find me on, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and places like that. I have a, my own little website is, is roberthammond.tumblr.com, Tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-R.com, which is that uh, type of blog. And I, I don't, you know, I have a lot of information there too. Excellent, excellent. With this, and that is, you origi- your your journey began because you went through, uh, you know, a pretty horrific uh, identity crisis. I think uh, that uh, you know was was racially uh, motivated, uh, and uh, nothing you could really do about it. To kind of forced into a situation that you didn't ask to be in. So we all we all understand that when we go through multiple identity crises. Or crises. Um, what have you been able to do and do differently where that level of stress that could happen with an identity crisis um, or uh, in your future, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of getting ready to become a Hollywood type, if you will, uh, that uh, you won't end up uh, back uh, in – uh, some of those same situations and circles. Well, those are excellent questions, you know, because you know those things, people do sometimes they 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 kind of get full of themselves, and I think that's been one of my problems before with the identity, is I have gotten wrapped up in, you know, not really knowing who I was and trying to be something that I wasn't. And I, what I, I'll I'll give you really three quick steps I would say to personal transformation. I believe it works for everyone. Mm-hmm. It works for me, and it's not about religion or certain belief systems or anything, but, you know, if you just, you know, these three quick things that um, I'll just go over real quickly. It's, it's, you know, to me, the first step to that true peace inside is to stand still in the light. Mm. In other words, to stand still, be still and know in the light. You know, let, you know, that light, you know, shine in your life and find it within yourself. That's number one. Number two is to believe in the light. So, in other words, the light itself is this, this revelation of the truth that if you really are still long enough to, to, to really watch, you'll see yourself more clearly. You'll see what life is about. You'll kind of awaken to this. Uh, it's, it's all a process. It's not just a, a formula that I'm giving here. Um, but mm-hmm. you start believing, you know, what you're seeing, and that's where the faith is developed, even like that little faith, like a little mustard seed. If you just have that little bit of faith, like you're open and willing to be open and willing you know, you can move mountains. You know, your whole life can change. And then ultimately it's walking in the light. And so that's kind of where you're really believing and trusting and living a kind of a life of faith. You know, and again, not just a religious, you know, ritual or anything, but just really daily, moment by moment, living in really in the presence. You know, I say the presence of God. You know, that's my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's walking in the light, you know, is just a way that I believe it transcends, you know, religion and transcends belief systems, transcends r- rituals. 
And if we keep doing that, and, and, and no matter what our situation is, because we'll have what you know we seem to be ups and seem to be downs, we'll have different kinds of situations coming in our lives. You know, if we continue, it's back to that story I said before. It's like you know you're running around looking for your keys. You know, you're looking for your glasses. You know, but you have it with you all the time. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. enlightened. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's like once you see that within yourself, you really see this more and more. And it's not just a one-time event. And then okay, now I'm you know on the top of the mountain here. Right, right. So that's that's it. And it's it's like giving up service. And and you said you know like what's in the future. I mean, I I, I teach classes. I try to you know help you know when I can. I, I do some consulting. You know, I'm, you know writing probably another book. You know, actually I have one that I'm just coming out with. Uh, called Finding the Light Within. And you actually probably find that one on Amazon because I just kind of did an early version of it, Finding the Light Within mm-hmm. um, by Robert Hammond. Um, but, you know, the light, the, the one that we were talking about before, is really just a way. I think people who read that book, the light, will see not just, you know, my story and, and oh, wow, you went to all this stuff and wow, you came out, but really learn some lessons, you know, because that's what I tried to do with it is really shine light and give people ways that they can kind of identify, because most people who read it, they actually say they identify with the character because everyone's kind of felt a little bit out of place at times or they felt like they've gone too far and can't get back, and they're, like, searching for something. They don't really know what it is and mm-hmm. where it is, but they join all these different groups or <laughs> trying to look for answers or take whatever they take and get lost sometimes. I Well, Robert, you are uh, one of my heroes. Um, your story uh, in life completely resonates with me, and, you know, you are a light uh, that shines very, very bright, and I think you're going to uh, help thousands and thousands, if not millions of people uh, who have gone through what you have, better or worse, uh, but uh, the world is much better that you showed up, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Philippe. I can say the same thing for you. You know, you're also a light in the world, and I appreciate your light shining and, and giving me an opportunity to, to be here with you today. Absolutely. And then this is not the end because I want you back on the show, so well, <laughs> you got to make it. a commitment. <laughs> oh, I will, absolutely. I, I've enjoyed this, this time, and I, I definitely look forward to, to spending some time with you again. All right, my friend. Uh, I, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much, and let's talk again soon. All right, take care. All right, you take care. Bye-bye.